Psychedelics are multifaceted and incredibly complex. And the lens through which we look at them, explore them, study them, absolutely matters. And when we swap out a lens, we might get a very different result. Right now, the primary lens is through the lens of mental illness, which of course is, we need that because we're going through the worst mental health crisis in human history. And it's also an easy pathway for FDA approval. So there's, there's reasons for that. But when we actually look at the we ha I think we have to be mindful and be aware and be careful of just how much the lens of mental illness is being put on the entire space and how much that's influencing the outcomes of preparation, the outcomes of integration, the outcomes of therapies. Hello and welcome to the Modern Psychedelics Podcast. Thank you so much for being here and choosing to spend some time with me today. I'm your host, Lana. If you're interested in exploring how modern humans can use psychedelics to engage more deeply with life, you're in the right place. You can expect balanced and grounded conversations around the therapeutic, spiritual, and recreational use of psychedelics. All right, let's journey. Hello, everyone. Ooh, how good is that intro quote? I hope that you are excited for this episode because it is diving into some brand new material, some brand new perspectives, some really fresh perspectives for us here on the Modern Psychedelics Podcast. So for those of you who have been religiously tuning into the show, you're going to love this one because it is just a really fresh take on the space. So Laura Dawn is an incredible, powerful woman in this space. She has been on the psychedelic path, the medicine path for 25 years, and she has so much to share. Her ability to like speak into the essence of what it means to walk this path, for me personally, it was so liberating to listen to. She's such a thought leader in, in that way because she's someone who puts into, she makes sense of and puts into words a very complex human experience that some of us are working through. And in that moment when she speaks the words using her voice, right, you resonate with it so deeply because it's speaking to this deeper part of you that is unfolding and unraveling and in her words and through her work, she helps us with integration. She helps us with understanding what it means to be on this path. And she's so beautifully balanced between using her rational, logical mind, like she's doing her master's degree and doing research, but she is also so heart-centered and also very intuitive. And I think this is what makes her so powerful to listen to. She's also really real about her path. Um, she shares with us in near the end of this episode about how she still experiences grief, how she still sometimes experiences depression, and that it's just naturally something that comes with being awake to what is happening in the world right now. And we speak into that. But we really have this awesome conversation about how the medicine path and choosing this as a path is really a devotion, a slow practice, a sacred path, a slow path, the slow path. I'm all about the slow path lately. And not like the answer to all of our problems, rather 
it, it is an answer in the sense that it is a path that helps us to find the answer. So this is a really rich conversation. And I think her power really shines through in this. I absolutely love speaking to her. She has been someone who has been in my network for a very long time now, and I'm always learning from her. So this conversation was long overdue. I'm also so excited that Laura is going to be a guest teacher inside of Flow Formula. We're so excited to have her. She's going to be speaking in our masterclass series along with Manesh Gurn. Manesh is going to actually be delivering a science of flow and microdosing um, talk for us, which is going to be really amazing. And Laura is going to be sharing her wisdom with us and we can't wait we're so honored that she's going to be with us and if you guys haven't already checked out the website for flow formula i will link it in the show notes it is our eight week microdosing program when i say we i mean me and jenny who was in a couple of episodes my dear friend and now my new partner in flow formula it's an eight week microdosing program and really group-oriented, community-oriented microdosing experience where we're going to be exploring how microdosing is a tool for helping us find and create flow in our lives, but we're also using microdosing as a tool in the program to do mindset work and shift our belief systems and values to align with our highest expression in life. So we're so excited. There's going to be a whole four weeks, an entire month spent doing core energy coaching with me, mindset work, values-based work. And then we're also doing modules on the nervous system and the, the, the body, right? Food and movement. So it's all about finding your flow. And wow, Laura is definitely someone who has found her flow with life. It's all about finding flow with life and merging with the present and merging with life. And oh, it's so juicy. <laughs> it's so juicy. So yeah, learn more um, by checking out the link in the show notes or flowformula.crd.co. If you want to book some time with me to hear more about the program or to just like find out if it's the right program for you at this time. I'll also link my calendar down below so that you can book some time. Enrollments open until March 14th and we hope to see you there. And just before we jump into this episode, let me read Laura's bio here. So Laura Dawn MSC is the host of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast and founder and director of Grow Medicine. She has a master's in science specializing in creativity and change leadership and is at the forefront of exploring the intersection between psychedelics and creative cognition for leadership development. And that she is, you guys. We have such a great conversation around her expert expertise between, yeah, the intersection of psychedelics, creativity, and leadership. You guys are going to love this episode. Definitely send me a DM or email with what you gain from it. I love hearing from you. And without a further ado, let's get into it. Laura Dawn, everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I am here with such a force of a woman in the psychedelic space, Laura Dawn. It's so nice to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lana. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Yeah, it's been in the works for many months and it is happening at the perfect time. So yeah, you are, I think, such a powerhouse in the psychedelic space and really leading the way in so many different ways. So it's going to be a great conversation for me and for our audience. 
And you are someone who has spent a lot of time on the mic, whether it's on your own podcast, the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, you've been interviewed a ton, and you also do a lot of speaking engagements. So I want to know what would make our conversation today really stand out for you or fun for you or just a success? Mm, I really intention. love this question. Yeah. yeah. I think just having the, the feeling that we are just two medicine sisters sitting down, having a real conversation about what's real for us and what's alive for us and to not take ourselves seriously in the process, you know, and balance that, you know, what's up and what's alive and real talk with also just like having fun with the process and having more of a conversation. You know, I also want to hear your thoughts and opinions on the the topics that we're going to dive into. So I'd love to just make it conversational in all the ways that make it fun and engaging for your audience. Oh, I love that. I love the the sense of humanity and, and realness. And I think that's what people really tend to connect with. And it comes with just practice being on the mic and sharing yourself with the world. Yeah. And I want to start with, I mean, you've been involved with the psychedelic world way before it was Vogue, <laughs> way before all of us, I would say, way before most of us um, in the Western world. It's been about 20 years, right? So what has your journey been like? And feel free to share anything that you would like or that feels right to share. Mm -hmm. mm, thanks for that question. Yeah, even just to sort of extend what I just said in the opening is actually to speak your truth and to have a real conversation and to just to sit here and be like, this is what's alive for me. You know, we throw around this word authenticity so much. And it actually takes a lot of courage to just speak what's true for us because we live in this time, especially right now, which is so funny to me. And I'm sure we're going to dive into this, but there is a lot of judgment in the psychedelic space where I'm just like, what the heck, you guys? And so, you know, even for me to just show up and that's what my intention was, is like, okay, let's just have a real conversation. And then just naming that, you know, it's so much uh, harder to really just be authentic in our expression around our direct connection with medicines, because now there's a lot of added layers of everything you know, and I won't even name the everything without even because I don't even want to go into those topics. So, you know, I just want to just preface everything I'm about to say with just like, this has been my path. It's been true for me and I'm still learning and growing. And it's like, you know, yeah, it's almost like if, if anything that's said here today is like triggering or like rouses something in your body, like what an opportunity to look at that and be like, hmm, I wonder what's going on there. And so I know it's a long preamble, but I just felt like pertinent to share that. I had my first pretty high dose psilocybin journey when I was about 15. So this is like the first statement into taboo territory. You know, I've had people be like, where were your parents? And, you know, all of the things. And I'm not saying it was right or wrong. It just is what, what my journey was. And I was the youngest of four kids growing up, and my parents were very supportive and open-minded of me following my own path. And I would say even before plant medicines, 
which, you know, my entryway as a 15 year old was very much recreational, which I'm sure we'll get into today. But even before that, I think the reason that I was really pulled towards that and called to experiment with that, I was about 14 or 15 and was really because I wanted to know what was more than this reality, than this waking consciousness. And I've always had a really strong propensity to want to explore and sort of hurl myself over the deep end. And actually one of my first memories as a child was my dad holding me by the armpits and counting to three and swinging me and hurling me into the deep end of our pool and teaching me how to swim that way. So I think there's just been this really strong adventurous spirit. And and I think the essence for me in terms of, you know, the, the medicine path and working with these medicines has been to explore, like, what is my path and what is my truth? And there's such a strong magnetism to follow the status quo and to do the thing. And I was raised by two entrepreneurs. And so my my upbringing was very much, you know, joke about this. I was pitching my first business ideas at dinner because that's what we were encouraged to do. You know, so I was eight years old and starting to, you know, come up with my parents would say by dessert, you know, by dessert, everyone should have a business idea that they share with the rest of the family. And so that was part of my, my upbringing. And so, and, and now it's not set so, you know, radical, to be an entrepreneur and to be out of the cubicle because it's like everyone's on that path now. But 20 years ago, it was a little bit more, you know, outside of the box. And I've been an entrepreneur my whole life and have been working with these medicines in a way that allow me to create my life in a genuine, authentic way that is true for me. And that has required an enormous amount of courage to do that, to you know, in a sense, to my own drum and to say, I'm going to follow this path because this is what's calling me. And that's led me on some really incredible adventures, you know, including living out of a backpack for six years of my life and traveling all over the world and, you know, having really remarkable experiences. And it's also what led me all the way full circle back to graduate school during the pandemic to explore going deeper into how these medicines can really help unlock creativity in our lives because that's also been sort of the essence of what my life has been and even expanding the narrative of what creativity is that it's more than just art and painting and music and poetry but it actually is a way that we walk it's a way that we create our lives and shape our lives into the way that we want to because as we shape our lives, it shapes us in return. And so, you know, I've kind of worn a lot of different hats in the process. I go really deep into, you know, this psychedelic neuroscience and I love the academic hat. And I also love this other, you know, free spirit, authentic, resilient, courageous heart, you know, and that, that path of, of Buddhist philosophy has actually been a really big part of my path as well, which I'd be happy to actually share a little bit more about as the conversation progresses. But I think at the end, it's really been about walking a path that is authentically true for me and everything that comes with that, which is an enormous amount, judgment, criticism, people wanting to tell you that you're wrong, that you're not doing it the right way and, you know, all of it. And it takes a lot, you know, to be willing to walk this path in that way.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks so much for for sharing what you did with us. I really felt this like underlying theme of, you know, you mentioned like authenticity and walking to the beat of my own drum and creating a life for me, for myself that feels very genuine. It sounds like authenticity and being true to yourself and getting to know yourself is something that's always been really important for you and that the psychedelics have been able to help you walk that path, right? What what have you learned about what it means to really mm-hmm. be and live authentically to yourself and to get mm-hmm. to know yourself in such a deep way. Mm. Yeah, similar to what I expressed around, I think that the two words that come to me are courage and vulnerability, you know? And so there's this really amazing, and this is where we can maybe like segue into creativity because uh, creativity also requires a lot of courage and a lot of vulnerability. And there's this great Brene Brown quote where it's like along the lines of, you know, I don't leap because I want to stick the landing. I leap for the act of flying through the air. And mm. that's exactly how I feel about the, my path, my life. We're all going to die. <laughs> like reality check, you know? And so what is the purpose? And I think there's this, there's, I mean, you can't work with plant medicines and with psychedelics for so many years without, you know, really bowing at the altar of impermanence and of your own death and make peace with that, you know, and have these like mini existential, I like to say that like certain degrees of existential crisis is actually really good for us, you know, where we say like, what is this all for? What is the purpose? Like at the end of my life, when I look back on my life and the path that I walked, you know, Am I going to be proud of what I created? And so, you know, there's this other element of authentic living that it's not like selfish living. It's like, I want to create beauty and we're all here to know ourselves more deeply. And in the process of creating, that is actually a very valid pathway for coming to know ourselves more deeply. And we literally create in every moment of our everyday lives. And so is it adding up to something that is a tool for us to express ourselves, to get to know ourselves, to heal, to, you know, cultivate relationships, to live in a way that inspires our hearts, you know? And so to me, that's, that's a life well lived. And when I look back on my life, I'm going to say, wow, you know, I really squeezed every ounce of juice out of it because it was for the act of flying through the air. You know, there's no guarantee we're going to stick the landing. And in fact, we're all going to face plant, you know, at the end of our lives permanently. And that's okay, you know? And actually that awareness, I think, is what brings in the humor and what brings in the levity and what brings in the like, okay, folks, let's just not take it all so seriously. And so, you know, for me, I, I've i always wanted to push the boundaries. I've always been a boundary pusher. And with that actually is becomes, it's coupled with a lot, you know? There's If you're pushing the boundaries by definition of being a visionary leader or at the forefront of something, by definition, it means that you are challenging large majority of the way that we think about something. And when you challenge people's beliefs, you have to be ready for the ramifications of that. 
And so, you know, I work with a lot of medicine women entrepreneurs as one sort of like cohort or category of, of people I work with. And it comes up a lot, you know, and around like being willing to walk this path with a message, especially in this space, you know, because a lot comes with that. And so when people are like, well, you know, should I do it? And it's like, well, if you're asking the question then, and you're not sure what the answer is, then that's your answer, you know, mm -hmm. because when you're so clear, it's like, there's just, there is no other path for me. You know, this is, this is it. So, and it's like, sometimes when I work with some other pretty big boundary pushers, I have a client who's like very much at the intersection between like sexuality and psychedelics, which is such a, another, like just so taboo topic. And they were like, you know, do you think I should really be more public about this? And I was like, are you willing to burn in the middle of the fire for it? as just like a real legitimate question. Like, are you willing to walk through the fire because this, this thing that you feel so passionately about is something that you want to share with other people to progress the evolution of humanity, you know? <laughs> like, it's like that. So it's like, I've always been at the forefront of like, even 10 years ago, talking openly about psychedelics was such a different time than it is now. And there were pros and there were cons, <laughs> you know, to being public now, there's pros and cons. And then there was also pros and cons. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of like that, you know, it's like, what are you willing to walk through the fire for? Because you there's no other choice for you. Because if you don't walk through the fire, you would spend your whole life regretting it. I feel that viscerally in my body when you say that, because I feel like with this podcast, that that's, that's what I'm doing right now. Like, oh, thank you for sharing that and putting into words an experience that I feel for myself. And that's, that's what makes such great thought leaders is when we can really take things like you do in, in, and conceptualize them in such a deep way and express them in such a deep way where people are like, fuck, yes, I really resonate with that. So thank you for sharing yourself and everything going on in your, in your mind and in your heart with us and helping us to walk this path. I love how you spoke into the boundary pushing and how a part of that means challenging the way that we think about things, which yeah, psychedelics are such an amazing tool for. And a lot of your work, Laura, is focused on that intersection between creativity and psychedelics and leadership. I'm curious, how did you, such a niche, right? Like such a very specific um, way to pair psychedelics with something mm -hmm. that is so broad, like creativity. How did you get interested in that and decide to really devote your your work mm -hmm. to, to that intersection? Yeah, well, I think like the whole story I shared about my bringing was sort of the preamble. But then there was a point where I was I was leading my my last big retreat. So I've, I've been running retreats for about 12 years. I built a retreat center, a volcanic hot spring retreat center on the big island of Hawaii. And I, I sold that a couple years ago. And then I started running retreats in Costa Rica. And after the volcanic eruption in 2018. So there's been a lot of sort of upheaval and change in my life and all of our lives. And it was 
while I was preparing for this 11-day retreat, there was 41 people, entrepreneurs and leaders, and I was really teaching a framework that I could get into a little bit more, but it's really about how do we work with medicines as a way to really radically shift our beliefs about what we believe is possible to create with our lives. And around that time, I had come across, I started... I don't know if you're familiar with Yuval Noah Harari, his work. He wrote Sapiens and 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. He is such an incredible thought leader. And so, and I really study other thought leaders and how they're creating, using conceptual com combination to create real novel ideas that change the way mass amounts of people think. And so he was start, starting to talk about, you know, the most important skill sets for our time our creative thinking skills and that, you know, when you look at statistics like um, the most in-demand jobs today weren't, didn't exist five years ago, okay? So we are all products of an industrialized education system that taught us skills that we actually aren't really needing to use. So we're not being taught creativity skills and adaptability skills skills and how do you regulate your nervous system in the face of so much exponential change and times have always been changing but there's something different about this time that we're living in because we're experiencing what we call exponential change and especially with technology i don't know if you've been tracking everything that has been happening with ai technology this past month with chat gpt and all of it i was just watching a documentary the other night that said in the next three years 50 percent of all jobs will be radically transformed by AI. Okay, so larger context, you know, if it's not like a pandemic that's happening, it's, you know, a new release of an AI technology that is literally replacing millions, tens of millions of jobs. And so we need to learn how to adapt in the face of change. And so it was before this retreat and I really started, my attention was very much caught by what Yuval Noah Harari was writing about creativity. And also, you know, the World Economic Forum came out with a statement saying creative thinking was the most important skill set for us to cultivate of our time. And because I also do a lot of reading in the psychedelic research and literature space, I read a lot. I really am try to be as informed as possible as like the underlying neuroscience and neural mechanisms that are which psychedelics are so helpful for treating what the primary focus is on, which is mental illness, the big four primarily, depression, PTSD, anxiety, and addiction. But I was like, okay, that's interesting that there's this, there's an understanding of why psychedelics are efficacious for the treatment of mental illness. And then I really asked myself, what if we reframed the question, which is in itself a creative thinking tool to reframe, flip a question on its head. And instead of focusing on the question, how do psychedelics help reduce the symptoms of mental illness? What if we looked at it through the lens of creativity and asked the question, how can psychedelics help enhance creative cognition and optimal well-being and creative thinking, creative expression, creative problem solving, creative cognition, all of these being a function of optimal well-being. And I really, you know, I mean, this has been some years now that I've been cultivating this thought process, but, you know, it really was the beginning of, of it for me. And I actually came across a paper and it was Manesh Gurns, who I think you know, who's a psychedelic neuroscientist. And he wrote a paper on updating, updating the dynamic framework of thought, psychedelics, and creativity. And, and then 
really connecting a lot of what was said there with other research that I was already reading and understanding, starting to dive into my own reading around creativity research. And then I just started connecting so many dots once I looked at it through that lens. And I think this is actually one of the most important takeaways for people listening is that psychedelics are multifaceted and incredibly complex. And the lens through which we look at them, explore them, study them absolutely matters. And when we swap out a lens, we might get a very different result. So right now, I know this is a super long-winded answer to your question, but I'm getting there. Right now, the primary lens is through the lens of mental illness, which of course is, we need that because we're going through the worst mental health crisis in human history. And it's also an easy pathway for FDA approval. So there's, there's reasons for that. But when we actually look at the, we, I think we have to be mindful and be aware and be careful of just how much the lens of mental illness is being put on the entire space and how much that's influencing the outcomes of preparation, the outcomes of integration, the outcomes of therapeutic modalities. And if you think about it, okay, so right now we're in a place where we're like, okay, we take this term psychedelic, psychedelic psychotherapy in assisted psychotherapy as like, oh, it's, you know, of course, it's like a baseline norm. Psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Robin Card Harris really introduced that as an idea based on something sub that concept that emerged from that, which is that psychedelics help open windows of critical periods. And during those critical periods, we experience heightened cognitive flexibility more plasticity, we're more malleable in the face of change. That is a core of what psychedelics do. They actually, because they activate the 5-HT2A receptor sites, they allow us to adapt and be more flexible in the face of change. That's actually why they help treat depression. But if you look at that, the underlying mechanism of that, that's exactly why they help us think more creatively. And that's exactly why they help us to untether our, ourselves from what we, what we think of as a frame of reference. And so right now, predominantly, we're looking at how do we take that information and help treat and reduce the symptoms of mental illness, which is looking at combining psychedelics with psychotherapy. And we combine psychotherapy with medicines because of those windows of heightened flexibility. And if we look at it through a new lens, now we can start saying, well, okay, there's heightened malleability there. There's heightened flexibility. What if we combined it and looked at set and setting, integration, preparation, therapeutic modalities, the whole shebang. What if we looked at it through a different lens of enhancing creativity? And all of a sudden, a lot changes. It changes the way we think about setting, set and setting, which part of my thesis was that I created a whole model, a whole extended model of how we understand set and setting based on the four Ps of creativity. And it changes the way we think about preparation, the way we think about this as a therapeutic tool. Because as Dennis McKenna said, you know, I was interviewing Dennis, I interviewed him twice for the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. And he so eloquently said, you know, 
psychedelics are tools for teaching us how to think more creatively. And so if you think of the analogy of, I don't know if you've ever struggled with depression or addiction, but I have, and I know it can be really intense to be stuck in that ruminative thinking. It's like being a hamster in a wheel. So there's this one track mind. And when we have enhanced flexibility, we're able to think a new thought to like come out of that dark room that we've been stuck in and suffocating in and see, oh, like breathe fresh new life. And that's actually the same parallel path that we can think about creativity. It's just getting off the hamster wheel of repetitive patterns to have a novel thought, a novel idea, make a new connection. And we know that medicines are really helpful in allowing us to do that. And I can explain more why that is, but I'll just like pause there to take a breath. And I know there's been a lot that's been said, but it's, it's, that was actually the entryway for me to go back to graduate school. And that's what I focused on was the intersection between psychedelics and creativity within the context of what's known as change leadership, which is a specific kind of leadership theory that looks at these times of change and how do we continuously adapt in the face of so much rapid change, which is applicable now more than ever. I am quickly interrupting this episode that I trust that you are very much enjoying to let you know that I'm currently onboarding new one-on-one clients in my coaching practice. I am a three-time certified and very well-trained core energy coach working with those who are on the psychedelic path or are psychedelic curious about this life. If you are looking for a coach who is process-oriented, that would be me. In this outcome-obsessed world, it can be very alluring, trust me, I know, to live from a place of focusing on the destination or the end result. But I have learned time and time again that the juice is in the journey. That's why I aim to equip my clients with tools and skills for the long game of life, for the long game of medicine work, and for the long game of being on this path and growing and evolving. Because guess what? We are here for the long game, if we are lucky enough. The key pillars of my coaching practice include awareness, acceptance, peace, conscious choice, trusting the process, energetic engagement, and enjoyment. And I don't just coach from these disciplines, I live and breathe them myself. If this sounds like something that would be supportive for where you're at, please get in touch with me by clicking the link in the show notes or just head to modernpsychedelics.net slash coaching. I can't wait to connect with you. That's modernpsychedelics.net slash coaching. All right, back to the episode. Hmm, yeah. Wow, so interesting and such a new topic for us to be exploring on the Modern Psychedelics podcast. So I'm, I feel so much buzzing energy in my body right now. And you're so, there's so much balance when you speak about the science and the neuroscience. Like, I I just see such a balance within you of the logic and the heart. Like, even when you're speaking about the logic, there's so much heart behind what you're saying and behind the work that you're doing, which is like grad school work and very logical. So yeah, I just want to acknowledge you for that. Um, Can we go back to the set and setting and the framework that you created? Can you tell us a little bit about that? So if I'm understanding correctly, you looked at how to create 
Um, like obviously set and setting is so important with psychedelics and we talk so much about the set and setting ceremonially for psychedelic psychotherapy for healing purposes, but you're specifically looking at that set and setting for creative use of psychedelics. Is that right? Yes. So yeah. I'll, I'll get a little Tell bit academic that. here, but, but it will, um, and we'll just do a sort of a high level overview. So yeah. Especially when we start talking about creativity, it's helpful to actually just start with a definition because it's yeah. kind of hard to put your thumb on creativity just like it is to sort of pin down psychedelics. So when you combine them together, it's like, what are we actually talking about here? So really the most broadest definition of creativity is that it's coming up with useful and novel solutions to problems that we're facing. So it, there's two main components, usefulness and novelty. So it's really just finding new ways to solve challenges that we face in our everyday lives. And we draw upon creativity like hour by hour in our lives. And so it's really good to, to encourage people to fundamentally start thinking of themselves as creative because we're all constantly in that, oh my gosh, I need to come up with new solutions. Instagram just changed their algorithm. So like I need to, you know, find a new strategy and whatever, you know? the important stuff and the not so important stuff. So, and then when we look at breaking up this, I find people really find this helpful when we break up the psychedelic, I mean, the creative landscape, Mel Rhodes in the sixties came up with a model that was called the four P's of creativity. So the creative person, the creative process, the creative product, the outcome, or what he called press, but what I call place. So, when you look at the four P's, you have the person, the place, the process, and then the outcome of that process. Like, what are the two that overlap on top of set and setting? Right. Place and when person. You look, or place exactly. and process. Right? Well, well, it's interesting because, and I can actually send a visual. I don't know if you have landing pages for your solo episodes, but like I can send a visual mm -hmm. if that's helpful. But there yeah. is and of course these all blend together and there's all overlap because the creative person of course is engaged in a creative process and there's a lot of overlap there so when we look at set we're looking at the person their mindset but it's more than just a mindset it's the totality of like your belief systems your attitude and all that so there's kind of like a longer form of what I consider set. And then like the immediate, like how are you immediately feeling going into a journey? So there's set, which is the person and then setting, which is the creative place. But then there's also these two other dimensions that aren't really spoken about that based on this model of the four P's of creativity that my professor, Dr. Puccio, I'll give him a shout out because he took the four P's of creativity and created a systems change model of creativity of how we drive innovative change on a cultural level by looking at the interaction of the four P's of creativity. Because creativity, applied creativity is innovation. And what we need right now is innovative ideas to complex challenges that we face. So there was two P's there. There was set and setting, the creative place and the person. But then there's also the process the process that we go through, which we don't talk about within set and setting, the process and then the outcome 
of the whole thing of the set and the setting and the journey, the, the experience that we go through. So really what I did was just help give a different framework for how we're thinking about set and setting that extends it to really look at it through this lens of creativity that then has an outcome that can actually drive innovative change in our culture on a mass scale which is very different than looking at set and setting through the lens of, you know, therapy, for example, mm -hmm. couch therapy, you know, and of course it's different. Candles, music. Yeah. De depending on, yeah. depending on yeah. medicine you're working with. And yeah. of course, you know, sitting on the jungle floor is a very different set and setting with ayahuasca than, you know, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Yeah. So are you, for people who are listening, who are maybe like entrepreneurs and have businesses and have like a problem that they're facing or just anyone out there who has a problem that they're facing and they're like, Ooh, I want to try using psychedelics for creativity. Are there any tips that you can give people, um, how to, on how to engage with psychedelics using those four P's? Yeah. Great question. So when we look at the creative process, there's a couple of ways that we can think about the creative process. So one tip I would say is that it's good to know where you're at in your creative process. So let's say people are listening, you're a content creator. Say you're writing a book, like something that's, you know, a little bit of bigger or you're launching a program or you're, you know, working, I'm imagining that a lot of your audience are like entrepreneurs or, you know, something like that. So maybe you're at the, the beginning phase. So maybe actually before what I'll do is just outline, there's a couple of different models for understanding the creative process. And one of them is, is a helpful five stage model. So the first step is preparation. So, which is also can be viewed as like, you know, discovery or ideation. And it's all about collecting and gathering information. And then the second phase is after preparation, you go into incubation. I kind of use the like baking chicken analogy. So it's like, you're preparing the chicken, you're like gathering the oil, the salt, you're like getting ready to put the chicken in. And then incubation is like, you pop that chicken in the oven. This is where you're really digesting information. You're allowing your subconscious to wander. This is mind wandering. And this is why walking is so helpful for, and movement is so helpful for getting your best ideas is because this is when your mind is watering, wandering and you're not thinking about it actively. So preparation is like narrow focus and then incubation is more like wide focus, not really focusing on the topic per se. And then usually from that phase, you go into like illumination, which is the analogy is you have your, you prepare your chicken, you put it in the oven, you're incubating it. And then like the ding, the light bulb goes off. And it's that aha moment where you feel that sort of insight strike. And after you've been preparing and mulling it over and then you let your mind wander, that's in the relaxation phase that you usually get your best ideas. And actually research shows that we, we get far more ideas when we're away from work than when we're sitting at our desk working. So yeah. just understanding the fundamental process 
of thinking, divergent thinking, convergent thinking, which is a lot to get into, but understanding the, the creative process allows you to know what part of the process am I in. So you go preparation, incubation, illumination, and then you go into evaluation. Is this a really good idea? This phase number four of five becomes very crucial when you are working with psychedelics as an entrepreneur to vision ideas, which some people actually feel like this is blasphemy to be talking about and shame on me. And I shouldn't be talking about leveraging psychedelics to for business. And it's like, okay, business is what drives innovation. And we need innovative solutions to drive massive change. Okay. So that's just like fundamental belief system. I had, I had a woman not that long ago send me this whole, she tried to like do this whole thing with me on social media because she was like, you're a capitalist. And I was like, well, you know, <laughs> like maybe we should define capitalism and start there. So innovation is part of business. And I think it's really important for entrepreneurs to be pushing the boundaries of their thought leadership and medicines are one tool there. This can be taken so much out of context. You don't need to continuously go back to them over and over and over again. Like there's, there's ways that we could take this to an extreme. And then there's like happy middle, middle way of walking this path. So evaluation is step number four. And after you go into like really big deep dive visionary states, it's actually really helpful to evaluate for a period of time, what your experience was or the idea that came through. And then you have the fifth phase is implementation, which is where you create a plan of action because it's not just like eye to the sky. You got to give it birth to the earth. You know, your body is your creative channel. You got to actually make it happen. So you have preparation, incubation, illumination, evaluation, and implementation. And actually medicines, because if you look at what they do is they help us facilitate unconstrained cognition. They're really helpful for the incubation incubation phase of the process. I, I think they're actually, it can be beneficial for all phases, but when you look at like really the, the mode of cognition that we enter, it allows for creative problem solving because we're, we're stepping away from the problem. And it also gives us these I mean, there's so much I can say, but like tapping into imaginal realms is actually really, really helpful from a science-based perspective to allow the mind to make wacky, radical connections, which is why we sometimes have these trips where we're just like laughing hysterically. That's like the medicine of it because we're moving beyond our frame of reference and stepping into a new frame of reference, which is like the juice of creativity. You know, it's the mm. spark. That's what fuels creativity. So when I was talking about innovation, creativity drives innovation. But then if we back up a step, a step, imagination is the birthplace. We need imagination to drive creativity, to drive innovation. And, you know, I really encourage people to start thinking about imagination actually more seriously and not seriously at all, but more seriously as well. You know, because <laughs> I get what it's you actually, mean. it's really important that we actually start seeing the validity of it as a tool for leadership development. These are visionary medicines that are teaching us how to tap into visionary states. And there's a reason, I think, don't think it's a coincidence, that 
there is such an interest in these medicines at a time where we really are having to think bigger, where we really are having to teach ourselves to step out of the old frame of reference. The systems that we built our lives on are falling apart. You know, this is the portal that we're moving through, you know, so, mm-hmm. and, and to have those skill sets to teach your mind, it's, there's a term that I came across creative resilience. And that's part of resilience is actually learning how to lean into creativity. Creative thinking skills are incredibly important. And that's a lot of the work that I'm really focused on is how do we combine psychedelic journeys with creativity training for leadership development and for entrepreneurs and for people who are content creators to actually stay resilient in these times of exponential change as a source of meaning in our lives to contribute something, you know, to contribute something meaningful to the community, to other people, to humanity. Mm. Mm. Thank you so much for outlining that process. Wow. As you were kind of talking about it. Yeah. I was wondering like, where would we be using psychedelics in, in these five processes? So thank you for highlighting that it would be that incubation phase and I feel like we could do an entire podcast episode about Mm -hmm. this topic and like how to really Mm -hmm. use the psychedelics in that incubation phase um but you and it would also go into the illumination phase too so that's why people like Carrie Mullis you know who won the Nobel Prize for he's the first person Because scientists need creative thinking, especially as well. This is like for the sciences, it's for everything. And he won a Nobel Prize for PCR, the polymerase chain reaction. And he was the first Nobel Prize winner to directly and publicly with the BBC news radio. He said, I wouldn't have discovered PCR if it weren't for LSD. And Mm -hmm. so he discovered it in an LSD journey. But only reason wouldn't like... I wouldn't have discovered the PCR chain reaction in my LSD journey because not wasn't in all the preparation of it. You know, like he had this lot, like years and years and years of like mulling it over, working with it, preparing it, like letting his mind focus on it and then letting his mind wander and then going into psychedelic experiences where it's like, boom, that's the fertile Mm. ground, which really points to, that this path being a way of life and working with medicines as an additional tool, not as the only tool, you know? So actually 99% of it is what are you doing with it? How are you integrating it? Because medicines are only as powerful to the degree that you are able to take that information and transform it and coalesce it in your life in a way that you're taking action, informing new action, new behavior. So it's like you receive wisdom. What are you doing with that gem of wisdom? Are you like tossing it aside the next morning or are you like, okay, this is informing how I'm going to change my life and I'm going to take action today in alignment with that gem of wisdom that was given to me or that insight because Mm -hmm. I would argue that 99% of everyone who is coming to medicines like on the path is because they desire some change to happen. They want some kind of change to, to unfold in their lives. And so the medicines are only as powerful as our own ability to translate that insight into change, catalyzing real change. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's okay. You could just chase peak experiences and that's fine. Like I don't judge that either, you know? But like, that's a different conversation. 
Yeah, yeah, it's almost like the implementation phase is, you know, what we would call integration in in the psychedelic space, right? Yeah, yeah. So I want to shift gears just a little bit, like same same topic, but just shift a little bit because, yeah, you spoke into this idea of, you know, applying psychedelics to entrepreneurship or business is super capitalist and like, I get why people might come to that. Like I get the one dimensional kind of thinking that would lead someone to believe that. Sure. It's my belief. It's my awareness that entrepreneurs and CEOs and people in power using psychedelics and, you know, plants would actually, you know, really change their mission and, open up um, perspective to see the interconnectedness between the work that they're doing in the world and how it is connected to nature, to the earth, to the damage that we are causing to the earth because of capitalism, to the interconnectedness between, you know, this CEO and their employees and their place in the world, right? That's more where my mind goes. And mm-hmm. I know that you've really spoken into, like I've heard you speak on other podcasts about how nature and living in nature is such a important part of your, your process. And yeah, the way I see it, nature is kind of like the ultimate creator. It's the ultimate mm-hmm. creation and creator and um, has so much to teach us about creativity. So I just want to shift a little bit from like more of the academic logical and more maybe into the heart mm-hmm. and and earth wisdom, what do you think we can learn from nature about being creators and creation and creativity? I would love if you could share a bit of your process and what that's been like. Everything. It's everything. I mean, like, yeah, it's everything. You know, when you, we have this incredible opportunity that I'm super blessed to be stewarding this 90 acres of land here in Costa Rica, and we have two miles of riverfront And when I go down to the water every day, I mean, water is medicine. And it also, from a metaphorical perspective, is really teaching you how to flow, how to stay fluid, how to stay flexible and adaptable. And so I think, you know, there's there's opportunity to learn from nature and learn about ourselves, you know, on every level. Like... Yeah, just looking at to inspiration, even like looking at the way that mycelium grows and looking at trees, you know, talk about trusting your path, like looking at the way that trees like root down. Actually, it was interesting because I'm really a word geek, too. And I look at like the etymology of words and the word trust actually goes all the way back to Sanskrit word called deru. That is. Is tree, essentially. So when you look at. Yeah, I think that it's all a combination. Like, I'm really into combinatory play. So, you know, words create reality. It's like part of our our understanding of a tree is because we label it a tree and roots roots and, you know. And so, yeah, I think there's so many different aspects to look at. But, like, you know, inspires, inspires, inspires creativity. Also, open focus awareness, diffused attention is really helpful in the creative process. Mm -hmm. And when we go and look at, like, law long vistas it does something you know to the to the brain so i think that there's you know all the different ways but it also just keeps 
you in the what's real and what's important and like what's it all for you know because at the end of the day you can't eat money you know if things really go down it's like I yeah I learned through planting trees and you know I've grown I've been in the process of cultivating plant medicines for many years of my life and actually if you want to really learn about ayahuasca grow ayahuasca and it will teach you everything you don't even need to drink the medicine but if you just tend to that plant on a daily basis wow. you'll learn everything that you need to know about the path just by tending to it same with fire you know fire is such a powerful teacher you know and all of the elements in our lives so i mean it's it really is mm -hmm. everything it teaches us about right relationship about consumption i think that's a big thing that you know i've been off grid for 20 years and so most people don't have such a strong awareness of what they consume energy wise, you know, but it trains you over the years of like when you catch all your water, like we did in Hawaii for 10 years, you pay a lot of attention to the rain, you know, when it's cloudy out every day and it's covering the solar panels, you pay attention, you're paying attention. So it's way of living that attunes your awareness in a very different way than most people have. You know, it's like, oh, it didn't rain today. It didn't rain again. Okay, today it rained. Now this is what we can consume based on that. So it's like actually a foundational training ground for living in right relationship with your environment and your surroundings. And like, you know, plants aren't doing so good. So you pay attention to that. It's like, what are they telling you? They're communicating to you. Are you paying attention? So much of, of everything is really about what we pay attention to. Mm. Um, I do want to say something about something you said before you segued though. I, I think anything, everything in balance, you know, I absolutely think that psychedelics can be used for the wrong reasons. And it's not about, you know, the thing of like entrepreneurs working with psychedelics. It's about like, how are you doing that? And for what reasons and what's your intention? Like, absolutely, there are multi-billionaire CEOs sitting with psychedelics these days, like, you know, and what they do with that, I don't know, but I don't call it good or bad because you don't know what their intentions are. Like, you just, yeah. you don't know enough about it to label it and judge it as something, you know, but yeah, we have to be careful. Psychedelics do cause ego inflation. That is a real thing. They can cause narcissistic behavior. We have to be mindful of that, but mm -hmm. it's like just trying to like take a deep breath around what we like are so quick to judge, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Thanks for rooting in that intentionality piece. Cause you're absolutely right. It is, I mean, not just psychedelics, everything we do in life is about the energy behind it. And intention is such a big part of that. Mm -hmm. And what a great place to get into, you know, walking the, the medicine path, walking the psychedelic path. What does that mean to you? What does this path mean to you? I think, well, it means a lot of things, but I think it's about practice, about daily practice, you know, and it's about what are we doing to apply the wisdom on a real level, you know, and it's about humility and it's about integrity. And so, you know, I know like I really want to shift off of this topic, but like 
if someone is going to the medicine because they're like, oh my God, give me ideas because I want to get rich. Like, I'm pretty sure that I trust the wisdom of the medicine to like slap that person upside the head and be like, <laughs> you know, like root them into like, actually, that's not what we're here for, you know? Oh, so, yeah. so, so like, I trust that too, you know, because for me, it's so much of like, Sitting with the medicine is a moment to clear and acknowledge any place, any micro place that I'm out of integrity in my life, which happens, you know, mm. and, and to look at that. And I think it's like this constant tuning of alignment of like, okay, rooting into, because we know that feeling. This is like why people purge in ceremony is like you get nauseous thinking about like, walking out of alignment, you know, like, and we're human, we have egos, like, need to be gentle on ourselves as well. And we live in this like cultural context where, you know, everyone's trying to get ahead and everyone's trying to be successful. And, and, and the medicine is really inviting us to slow down and just to remember, you know, something that's beyond that and deeper than that. And that's a very privileged thing to say, you know, and I'll acknowledge that, that like, I'm lucky to have the space and time to slow down enough to listen to that, you know, and, and it's also, I think, a balance of like really applying it on as a daily practice and how are we staying humble on the path on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, mm -hmm. and also like staying totally goofy because like, otherwise, what are, what's the point, you know? Yes. If I'm not laughing every day, like mm -hmm. my measurement of success is how much I laugh every day. So when I notice that I stop laughing as much, I'm like, readjust, you know, realign. So like I'm off base, I'm off base right now. Yeah. Love you that. Know, so well, yeah. Yeah. Why is, you know, that, well, when I first kind of started on this path, I remember I was like really offended at people in ceremony laughing. I was like, how could you be laughing when we're doing such serious work? And like, of course, you know, I stayed on the path and started to laugh along with people, but it was very offensive to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> why, why is humor and that lightness and levity such a important part of this path? And how do you use it? I mean, in every way possible. It's like, I think there's this, there's this saying that I say a lot is just holding it lightly, you know, hold your beliefs lightly, hold it all lightly. And you can't journey with medicines as much as, you know, like you can't not see the irony of the paradox of what it means to be alive. And that like, we are all so serious and we're all in these bodies and trying to make all this shit happen and we're going to die. Like, that is like the foundation of humor and it's not actually dark. It's just like ironic, you know, it's just the reality that it's like, we take ourselves so seriously, but it's like, for what? It's all transient. It's all passing. And you think that you know the answer, but it's just your lens. It's just your frame of reference. It's just your belief system that it actually is just not everyone's you know, and then we like go to battle and defend and like go to war for these beliefs that we hold on to that are actually just stories that, that we make up, you know, like we make up stories about what we believe to be true. And then that's what we base our lives on. But it's actually all just a fiction. Like if you can't see the humor in that, then man, 
<laughs> Dude, I, yeah, I get coached every week. Um, and I've gotten to a place in my coaching now where I will dig up this like story and I'm just like, oh, okay. That's the thing that's running the show here. And I'll actually burst out laughing because I've come to realize just how not true it is. Right. It's only mm-hmm. as powerful and as true as we allow it to be. Yeah. And you mentioned Buddhism is part of your path. And I know there's that, there's that quote, um, when you realize how perfect everything is, you will tilt your hat, tilt your head back and laugh at the sky. Um, that's attributed to the Buddha I've seen online. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what does Buddhism say about the, the lightness and laughing and the humor and all of that? I think it's really, yeah, seeing the paradox because the essence of the, this, this philosophy, this body of wisdom is that everything is impermanent. And the moment that we try to hold on to something, you know, and we are, we do it our whole lives. I mean, there's a whole neuroscience perspective of that as well, because everything is constantly shifting and changing. We are biologically hardwired to cling to stability. So we're constantly in this balance between like adaptability, but stability, because that's what homeostasis is. If it was just like total instability all the time like do you ever have those journeys where you're like tripping on lsd and it's like hour 10 and you're just like okay when is this one gonna wrap up now like i'm ready ready to go back to stability or let's do another no i'm just kidding like i i had some really long 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 journeys on large doses that lasted a very long time and so it was just like that mentality of of like okay but the the truth is is that there is nothing to hold on to you know we live Mm -hmm. in a fundamentally groundless reality always seeking ground to stand on which is actually the root cause of suffering in our lives and so that's the irony and that's the humor in it and if you can see that you're constantly chasing to like cling to the things the home the car the person the partner the family and it's all you know like getting all your marbles in a row and you know it's just like it's just like it's a joke just a joke it's not it's just how we try to stay sane in a rapidly shifting world and i think the more that we see the truth of that the more we could just like let go and like enjoy the ride you know Mm -hmm. yeah enjoy the flow of it yeah I love that what's the what's the um what's the biggest misconception that you hear from people about walking the medicine path or being on the psychedelic path that Hmm. you would like to see corrected I mean, even it's interesting because even in the framing of the question, I am, I'm more like you do you and do it to the best of your capacity, you know, in like all your glory and all your shining colors, just do you the way that that makes sense. And so I think the misconception for me is that it has to look a certain way. You know, I've had people say, I mean, I've heard everything under the sun has been said to me at this point around like shame on you blah 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 you know like recreational use like you shouldn't be endorsing recreational use because blah 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 even this morning you commented on my instagram post on like my creativity and 
psychedelics real. And there was a one woman who was like, people shouldn't use psychedelics for creativity. They should tap into the channel of spirit. And like my response to that is like, thanks for your opinion. I am pro choice. <laughs> I am pro do you like in a way that resonates for you, mm -hmm. you know? So I'm also not like on the other extreme of like, everyone should do psychedelics when i was like 14 15 i was more in that like oh my goodness like i remember having lsd journeys like way way out there in far away lands in far off countries where i remember i was with my my ex-partner at the time we would drop acid and i'm not telling saying the country just to keep it like you know vague they have very strict drug laws there but I remember thinking, <laughs> thinking, wow, if everyone on the planet dropped acid, like we wouldn't go to war anymore and we wouldn't, you know, but now I'm more in the middle way of like, choose what, what resonates for you. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit more where, where I'm at. This whole misconception that there's a best way, like you can't take something as complex and multifaceted as a psychedelic compound and like stop trying to put it in a fucking box like just just back away back away from the box and just like mm. drop a tab and turn in the other direction and like see where it leads you because it's like it's it's just not as conforming as we think it can be mm. Mm. i love that yeah psychedelics kind of break the boxes, right? They break the boxes. For me, one thing that I hear often is, yeah, just this desire to have them work right away or like misconceptions about like how long it should take. And I guess like what it should look like, really the expectation mm. that, you know, one retreat or one ceremony is just going to solve so many and all of your problems and what I'm learning is that it really is such mm -hmm. a long game and it is a devotion to a path, to a way of living, to a way of being, to working with medicines, to developing relationships with medicines. What are your thoughts around, yeah, I, I call it like playing the long game and really devoting yourself to this way? Mm. I really like hearing your thoughts on the misconceptions too, because I think that that I think that that's a big part of it is like the the like quick fix, you know? Mm -hmm. I think the long game is is actually even having the mindset that it is a long game and that micro change, like my mantra, slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady. Because actually, if you think about, you know, full blown, it's like we all talk about ego disillusion as this like holy grail, like the mecca of like achievement in the psychedelic state, state, state. but you know what? Like it's not actually... Well, first of all, there's a lot of ramifications to a full ego dissolution and not everyone's ready for that, you know? So are you ready for your box to collapse and fall apart and, you know, for your cardboard box to get stamped on and wet and, you know, fall to the ground and like crumple up and then disintegrate, you know? Like, are you ready for something like that? And so actually small changes are really helpful you know, and implementing one change in your life before, you know, you go on to the next one, because transformation is the is, is the long game. And there's a reason that's like what I was mentioning before that, like, 
we're in such a razor's edge between adaptability and stability. So if you try to change too much too fast, you freak out and then run back to root into old patterns. That's why it's like slow and steady, slow and steady. You can train yourself to relax and open and cultivate that kind of change, but it takes a lot of dedication. It takes us a lot, mm. is like really is the path, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I feel like if you're not thinking about the long game, then maybe you should consider it. <laughs> it might, might be yeah. good to actually think about yeah. the long game. Well, it's, it's hard. We live in a world where everyone wants the, the solution, the quick fix, the outcome, and that's kind of just the way it is. So it's no surprise that it's being applied to psychedelics. And I love that slow and steady is a part of your, your approach. It reminds me of like one of the Bwiti teachings around slow is sacred, slow oh, down, yeah. just like, oh, yeah. slow down nature, right? Nature never hurries, but it gets everything done. Yeah. Yeah. It's another one of those, those lessons from nature. Mm -hmm. And it's really about enjoying the process, enjoying the slowness and enjoying the path. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like on a very just like transparent level, yeah, it's like, I, I, I by no means feel like I'm like, well, you know, I've been journeying with psychedelics for 25 years. So like, I'm at this level now. It's like, when I have overcome an enormous amount of challenges, especially with addiction and depression in my life. But you know what, sometimes I still actually struggle with depression. And sometimes I actually still struggle with different various forms of addiction in my life. Mm. And so I actually think that like the medicine in this path is patience and self-compassion mm. and knowing that it's progress, not perfection, that we aren't trying to like, you know, it's, it's, it's the journey. And that's, I feel like for me, okay. So actually what I would say is that like of all the years journeying with medicines, like it's been maybe 20% medicines and like 80% Buddhist philosophy for me that has like catalyzed change because so much of my influence, the lens through which I engaged in with these medicines was through this lens of these teachings, these wisdom teachings. And so much of, I particularly like working with the Shambhala lineage, Chogam Champa Rinpoche's path. And he would talk about the spiritual path is inherently a path of befriending yourself. And that is like incredibly simple and incredibly profound to be contemplating for the rest of your life, you know? So yes, these tools have helped me. Microdosing has helped me so much and, you know, meditation and all these modalities and like, you know, shit is real out there on the planet right now. And so I'm kind of like, wow, if you're like not ever struggling with like grief or depression, you're just like not paying attention to like what's happening, you know? Mm. So I, I just try to hold it all lightly. But the difference of me going through a depressive episode when I was 16 versus now is that I have a lot more breathing room around it. I don't dig myself deeper because of it. I recognize it. I can observe it. I can hold it without shaming myself for feeling that, 
And I think like Mm -hmm. those are the tools, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like, yes, psychedelics can help catalyze the relief of depression, but like the chances of you experiencing depression again are probably pretty high. And so do you have also the tools to help you? And, and I believe that like psychedelics actually teach you those tools as well. So look for those gems to weave into your everyday life, you know, that, Mm -hmm oh, this too shall pass. That is like the perfect intersection between what psychedelics teach you and what the Buddhist tradition says, you know? This too shall pass. So that's actually a tool that we can apply the moment that we're like, wow, okay, I'm not feeling so great. I'm having like a mini existential crisis, which like I feel like I've been going through much more frequently because of everything that's just been happening around us where I'm just like, okay you know and that's just that's just real that's just being real about what's happening yeah and thank you for being real Mm. about that thank you for saying like i've been working on this and with these medicines for 25 years and like yeah i still have problems thank you for your humanity and your humility and for that just yeah that realness there's always this thought in the back of my head of like you know if I stay on this path for long enough, then like, what will it look like in however many years? And it's so nice to have that grounding, that grounding wisdom of, you know, life is just life and there's always going to be ups and downs, but it's the tools. It's the giving yourself the breathing room that will equip you to deal with those ups and downs, right? We can't control the ups and downs. They're always going to happen, but we are definitely in control of like how we want to walk through those ups and downs. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. I, th- I want to, I want to end on a, a fun light topic um, for this conversation. How does that sound? Sure. Yeah. I can, yeah. I can so, wade, wade through the mud or we can like, you know, go into the astral realms, whatever, whatever polarities (laughs) you want to be. (laughs) No, I love it because we started off really academic and got to learn so much about your work. And then we kind of moved into the heart and the philosophies. And now let's just end with some lightness. And I'd love to chat with you a little bit about recreational psychedelics. This is something that I worked through a lot of shame around myself. And naturally now I'm starting to share about it and speak more into it on the Modern Psychedelics podcast. And I know that you yourself also use recreational psychedelics. So yeah, I would love to just hear about, yeah, your your journey with kind of balancing the two, the medicine work and the the recreational, anything that you feel like sharing. Okay, this is, it's an, it's interesting because like I don't differentiate them for me. So I'm ah. curious to, for, for you, how do you define recreational use? What defines that for you? Yeah. So for me, recreational use is like the intention for me is just to have fun, is just to dance and let loose and like really connect with music and my friends and the people around me and myself. Whereas for me, the medicine work is has more of like a healing undercurrent. It's more of like, okay, there's this thing that is here that is causing some undesirable energy in my life. And I would like to look at that. Whereas with recreational, like a lot of people say like, 
well, fun is healing and dancing is healing. And it's like, yes, but I go into these experiences with just the intention of having fun. It's very like hedonistic in a way. It's like just for the joy Pleasure. and bliss. Just for like Pleasure. burning, man. We're like, we're like, yeah. we're like on the playa, candy flipping. I'm like dialed in all my fun gear and like we're talking acid mdma and like a full night yeah. of partying and it is I medicine it. you're right it is <laughs> like that's in great. a way but that sounds, that sounds awesome i really miss this last burning man <laughs> so yeah and so i would say that like the frequency of that is not as much in my life yeah. anymore um I, I invite everyone to think about how they can cultivate a practice with medicines in a way that's authentic and genuine to their process. So like, yeah, I, I totally see that. It's like, okay, you go to a party and you know, you want a microdose or you're at Burning Man or something like that, like, sure. And I do think that there is healing in that. There's healing in that for me where it's like, sometimes I really just like, it's just, deep reset to take myself less seriously. And I think that the healing space of medicines can also like get into this weird loop of like healing, healing, I need to do more healing. And, and it's so mm -hmm. serious and it's so revolved around and not to like to shame anyone who's doing it like the way that they want to do it. And some people have a lot more like deeper levels of healing, you know, like someone asked me that the other day on a podcast, they were like, you know, what's your recommendation for like really the launch pad of like psychedelics and creativity? I was like, get over your first like 10 years of like overcoming addiction and depression and trauma and like, you know, do that. And then like, you know, as a, as an over-exaggerated joke, but it's, there's some truth there. Like it's hard to tap into this like really inspired open creative channel when you're struggling with like debilitating depression, you know? So there's like the different layers. And I think it really depends on like, where are you at in your journey? And like, what's your intention? But where I'm at evolution now in my practice is I solo sit and I have very clear intention, but my container might look different than what other people might say is the appropriate container or the right container. And, you know, I've had some of my most profound journeys like out in nature, you know, on beaches where no one was present, you know, at the end of the earth. Like, I don't know that there is a right or wrong way, but like, and I don't think that if I think this is so nuanced and so there's no way that we can like cover all the angles on this, but I do think that if we are in an experience that social context where we're talking and outward, I think it, pull, it can have the tendency to pull us away from the direct channel. That's like an internal line of communication with that medicine. So I think mm. more so I think than like the framing, this is just a novel thought that I haven't, shared out loud before, but you are like encouraging me to think in this way. It might be interesting to think about like, rather than therapeutic or recreational, like more inward versus more outward, you know, mm. and, and there might be like a benefit to both of those because 
you know, in my own solo practice, I really like to set up my space in a way that's also very conducive to movement. And there's a part of my journey where I'm just really activated and something happens in that activation that is really special. And so I learn about over the years, I've learned about what is conducive for my creative channel. It's also very much the lens that I'm putting on this experience. What are the ingredients that are really helpful for me to think bigger, to expand what I believe is possible, to create in a way that's of service, that is a process that helps me anchor into my heart? And what are the ingredients for that? And I, over the years, have like tweaked it and worked with it and given myself permission to say, actually, it's my fucking right. It is my right to my own cognitive sovereignty. So like, I can actually do whatever I want. <laughs> it's my mind and my space and my privacy. And so like, I just, and, and that's something I feel really strongly about, you know? And so I think if you're not harming other people in the process, which is a whole other topic, you know, like, there's no one way. There's no, we cannot make blanket statements every, anymore. And so like lean into the million shades of gray. That's <laughs> kind of mm. how I feel about it. And just mm. do you in the way that you want to do you. So my, my practice, some people might consider like, well, that might be some recreational, but um, it's really just a practice that's dedicated to create my creative channel and actually like in devotion to my creative channel. And that was a really long-winded answer. Mm. No, that was great. And I, I particularly love the idea that's unfolding the, you know, instead of medicine versus recreational inward or outward. Um, and yeah, when is it appropriate to have that inward journey? When is it appropriate to have that outward journey? Neither is right or wrong, but mm -hmm. what are you really needing right now? I, I can definitely see, mm -hmm. see myself in that. Um, definitely worth, worth exploring that one a little, little more. Oh, this has been so great. Um, I want to end with a few rapid fire questions. Um, okay, I'll keep it short. I'll keep my answer short. I rapid. <laughs> I wrote on my I wrote on my sheet here rapid ish fire because they're never really rapid fire. But <laughs> You're, okay, you have to preface for me. You have to be like three sentences or less. Go. That's a good prompt. I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna say rapid ish fire, and okay. those are the. Good. That's the criteria. Okay. okay. I I want to. Well, you are such an incredible speaker. This is something that I think everyone probably recognizes about you. What is one piece of advice that you would give to people who want to become better speakers? Practice, 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 just more practice. You know, I like when I put together speeches, sometimes I put together speeches, hour long keynotes that I never deliver, but I practice them, you know, and it's a creative process that helps you cultivate your thought leadership. And work like if you really want to take it to the next level work with a speaking coach but like just start practicing start practicing and even shorter like even if you were to deliver a five minute talk on whatever your intersection is in the space then just start practicing that and do it until you nail it mm. and try in different settings and invite people to and ask people to like listen and practice in front of other people but it's just lots of practice and like finding your own voice and what your, what your unique message is and what, what lights you find that thing yeah. that you can't shut up about <laughs> and then yeah. go from there and then it will all just yeah. flow. 
I love that because there's such a resonance to the voice and the words that we speak when it's coming so deep from within us. Like that, that mm-hmm. is such a good, such a good tip. Okay. Next one. What's one thing we can all do to be more loving and caring towards our earth? I think even just an acknowledgement, like one thing that comes to me is just every time you eat, just thinking about the earth that it came from, you know, and just Mm -hmm. our connection to it. And even just taking a moment every day to like get your feet on the ground and recognize Mm -hmm. that she's supporting us, you know, and that's everything. That's everything. Yeah. Supporting us with everything we could ever possibly need. Yeah. What what book are you reading right now? Oh my gosh, I'm reading a few. <laughs> Deep Work by Cal Newport. Uh, that's a really great book. I have a, I usually I'm on rotation with like eight to ten books at a time, usually. Wow. Yeah, I I read a lot. And I was like, oh, where's my Kindle? But Cal, I'll say Cal Newport's book Deep Work. Like when I read it, I was just longing. Like my, my spirit is like longing for uninterrupted workflows where I can go really deep into a thought process that is not constantly being fragmented by, you know, everything that's going on in our lives. Mm. Like the, you know, social media reality is like the antithesis to deep work. And I think I'm, I do my best work when I'm like, just taking days at a time to just go really deep into it. I'm connecting a lot of novel dots. I'm holding a lot of pieces in my mind and we find significant amount of meaning, personal meaning when we're able to go really deep into a process that is revelatory for ourselves. And so I really encourage people to think about that. Um, there's a couple mm-hmm. other ones say the psilocybin connection that just came out, The Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution of the Planet. Also, Peak Mind, I've been reading. And Imagination First, I've been reading. And the, oh, this was uh, The Creative Act, A Way of Being, I've been reading. Those are all, I mean, and I go back to books all the time. I really, I go back over and over and over again. I have some, The Shamanic Bones of Zen. I just started that one. Wow. Yeah. I will say that um, in this world where we are having to manage knowledge, don't just be a passive note taker, be a note maker. I think it's easy Mm. to overconsume, to overhighlight, to overcollect. Take that and do something with it. Connect it. Make it meaningful to you. Learn the skill sets of accelerated learning and active learning if you want to be a thought leader. Don't just Mm. passively read. Do something with it. Transform it. Make it yours. Apply it in a way that contributes to your thought leadership. Mm. This is off the cuff, but where can people learn how to be accelerated learners? Where could you point people? I mean, there's a lot of tools online, but the biggest one, I would say, like, there's tons. I mean, this was part of one of the classes I took in graduate school was around accelerated learning. And I've 
since then read a few books about it. And learning how to learn is really a key foundational skill set, especially right now where the more involved you are in your learning process and learn how you learn. So like, I don't really do well with Audible. I, for so long, people would be like, oh my God, like, I can't believe you're not taking advantage of like listening to audiobooks." And I would try, but it just didn't work for my mind and my brain. I'm very Same. visual. So um, I take the information, I mind map it. I'm One of the things I'm gonna start doing is teaching people about personal knowledge management because I've been really in the throes of that right now. I'm, I'm like really deep into learning a new software program that's allowing me to like extend my thinking in a different kind of way. And so, you know, going from this era of like regurgitating content, I don't know, I have, did you just hear about the release of chat GPT? Are you familiar with everything going on? Okay. So like, AI technology is taking over everything and we're going to I know enter, about that. <laughs> we're going to take we're going to enter this wave of people regurgitating content even more which makes mm. just a stronger and stronger case for teaching yourself creative thinking skills that contribute to thought leadership. That's more important than ever before. And so one of the, those ways is actually like, instead of just reading books and highlighting notes and go, it's like, what are you doing with that? Take a book, a concept out of this book. And what if you combine it with a concept in a totally different field and smash them together? Then what? What does that make you think of? You know, Oof. so that's, these are just ways of thinking that are creative thinking skills, basically, that teach us how to cultivate our thought leadership. Ooh, yeah, you, I think you would be excellent at teaching that. I would definitely want to learn about that from you. So I'll keep an eye out. Um, okay, last, last uh, rapid, rapid ish fire question. After a season of hibernation and lots of changes, I know you've been kind of taking a step back from a lot of things. Um, what's lighting you up most right now? What are you just so excited about? Well, this land is really mm. special. So after, you know, I had land in Hawaii and went through just like such a tumultuous time. It was like really it was the, the full dark night of the soul, Phoenix rising experience, you know, but I've fallen in love with a new partner in my life and we are mm. on this land project together. And he's an architect and a designer, a very talented designer. So we're dreaming up building temple homes for people on the medicine path and mm -hmm. applying creativity and spaces. Like I was talking about the four P's of creativity, building transformational spaces wow. for people. And so we're, I'm getting to unleash my creativity with him in a whole other different way here, but like spending a lot of time on the land, a lot of time in the river, a lot of time listening to like what wants to be built on this land and what the vision is. And just in that dreaming process and more so than ever before. It's so funny because like I teach programs on teaching women how to cultivate their message in the psychedelic space, but I've really gone through my own like deepening process where I'm really owning the intersection of psychedelics and creativity more than ever before in like an unapologetic way where, mm. and I had to go through my own process to really get here. So I would say, you know, the conversation of psychedelics and creativity is like more inspiring to me than ever before. And just giving myself permission to be like, this is valid and this is what I'm doing and it's necessary and needed. And it's really inspiring me. Mm, wow. 
Wow, you are just, yeah, I stand by what I said in the beginning, a force. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing yourself with the world in, in all the ways that you do and for taking the time to share yourself with my audience today. This has been so, I, I, I have gained so much from this, so I know that the people listening will. Can you let people know what you have going on, how people can work with you, how people can connect with you if they desire? Thank you for that invitation. I really appreciate it. So my home base is mostly my podcast, the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, and everything is housed on my website, lauradon.co. And from there, you know, I have a work with me page. People do one-on-one -on -one work with me, but I also run lots of programs. I've got a couple of big programs in the works that I'm really excited about. And so I'll be announcing those as well. And my, I really, one of my like core, like labors of love is my newsletter that I send out. I've taken a bit of a break because I'm, I'm revamping like just my, my core alignment around what's inspiring me. But for many years, you know, I would send out email once a week that was just really authentically speaking to what's alive. And mm -hmm. the email list has just grown exponentially and it's been amazing to watch, you know, the, the growth of that. And so a way to stay connected is to get on that email list. And I have a lot of free offerings, you know, how to have a safe psychedelic journey at home microdosing courses, integration guides, all of the things. And you can find that on the downloads tab at my website, lauradon.co. And then lastly, on Instagram at livefreelauraD. And I love your Instagram channel too, Modern Psychedelics. Oh. It's such a great channel. Oh, and you guys are you growing. So it's really yeah. amazing. Well, it's just me. I'm doing all of it. But yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, doing it, holding it down. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm definitely going to subscribe to your mailing list. I don't know if I am, but that sounds amazing. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like I'm probably going to work with you one day in the future. <laughs> I feel that. I would love that. I would love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Thank Sweet. you so much, Laura. Wishing you all the love and joy in this new chapter of your life and everything that you have going on. Just such good work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And next time you come to Costa Rica, we'll have to get together. Yes, yes, in April or May. Okay, Sounds awesome. Good. Thank you so okay. much. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting the show. If you haven't already, come join the ongoing conversation over on Instagram with other beautiful souls. We have a pretty incredible and conscious community over at the handle Modern Psychedelics. Hope to see you there. If this episode sparked something within, please let me know by leaving a review of the Modern Psychedelics podcast on Apple and a five-star rating on Spotify. This really helps to share these messages with those who need them. And that's really the whole reason why I do what I do. So it's greatly, greatly appreciated. And don't forget that the work begins after you come back down to earth. And I'm standing here shoulder to shoulder doing it with you. Catch you in the next episode. Bye.